Ready? Okay. And break. <laughs> Defense. Is that the like the first and ten and again and again? <laughs> I don't remember any of them. No. We used to be cheerleaders. Oh my god, you guys! Still figuring out podcasting. Yes, this is only our seventh episode. I think we're doing pretty fucking good. Hooray to me. I know I am. <laughs> oh, are you? <laughs> you do so much for the podcast. I know, I know. It's so stressful. I get the drinks. There. I do the editing. Gosh, I have to sit here and listen. What, what else do you do? I tell a story. I talk. So I give you my I. input. Ugh. Which is worth so much. Yes. No one asked for. This is Murder of Ages. <laughs> I'm Karen. <laughs> I'm Karen, too. <laughs> it's the Karen. Wow. No, actually, I'm Marcy. I'm not cool enough to be a Karen. Thank God. <laughs> so one of us does a pre-1985 true crime story, and another one does a post-1985 true crime story. So we're just a murder of the ages for the ages. Oh. Oh, do you like I that? I like that. That's pretty good. That's nice. See, I do a lot. <laughs> Not How true. are you, Karen? How was your weekend? Um, you know, it was good. What's today? Tuesday? It is Tuesday. New episodes drop every Tuesday and Thursday. Yes. To try to satiate all of your true crime appetites. Mm. Mm-hmm. That was nice. Yum, 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 yum. <laughs> <laughs> We're finally getting a rhythm down. We started at like Fridays and then Mondays and Wednesdays. So consistently now look for Tuesdays and Thursdays episodes. Yep. It might change next week. Who knows? (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to keep you on your toes. Routine is, after all, how you get killed. Oh. Right? Is it? I mean, you get stalked, and if you follow your routine, the murderer knows where your routine is and what it is. I'm a routine person. Well, so am I. How am I not dead? (laughs) No one wants to stalk you. (laughs) We're not stockable. <laughs> That's a good thing, I think. Yeah. Uh, my weekend was fine. What did I do? It's a good question. Oh, um, changed up the hair, went darker. It looks very nice. Thanks. I like it. It's neat. You were n- not <laughs> thrilled yesterday when you saw it. I was just thrown because it is so dark. It yeah. doesn't look as dark today, though. But just, like, in the sunlight, it'll fade. It was pretty dark. How was your weekend? What did you do? It was pretty good. I went out to the stores. So, usually I don't wear a mask. And I have a friend that made me a mask. And she's very pro-mask. Pro not going to the store. She hasn't been to the store since March, so her husband goes. Mm -hmm. Small town. I just thought, you know what? I better just wear my mask because I know I'm going to see either her husband or that'll be just my luck. Mm-hmm. And then he'll report back to her that I wasn't wearing my goddamn mask. Mm-hmm. I wore it. I'm walking to the store. Who comes walking out? Does she? Not her. Her, oh, husband. her husband. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad I wore a mask. Oh my God. <laughs> that uh, was my weekend. Yeah, we have to wear them for work, which is just kind of annoying and I almost feel like claustrophobic in it. Yeah, they make it really hot. Yeah. 
I understand why we have to do it. It's just another thing. Yes, agreed. Well, that's good to segue into my story. Actually, he didn't wear a mask. Oh, okay. <laughs> but he was a bandit. <laughs> oh. Yes, Karen, I'm going to tell you about... Now, don't be mad. This is done. Well, there's a little murder in it, a little sprinkling, but it's um the only unsolved case of aerial hijacking. Do you know who I'm talking about? What does about? that mean? You know, skyjacking, airplanes. Oh. Mm. Oh. Mm. So I love the movie Without a Paddle. Have you seen that? Yeah. My friend Jamie and I were so obsessed with Matthew Lillard. <laughs> and watching that, I remember why. He is a stone cold fox. Ew. Oh my gosh. Ew. Oh, he's so He's hot. like tall and, and skinny usually I don't and like, like tall, skinny like... and pale boys, but some about him. And I did read an edit interview. He was pretty bummed that he didn't get a voice scoop or not Scooby, Shaggy in the new Scoob movie. How yeah, that's that? what he reminds me of is Shaggy. Oh, not from Scream and, or, or well, this movie or the... She's, she's All That. that. She's oh, All That is gosh. the one that I just can't because he's world. such a freaking tool. He is a douche. And it's so funny. <laughs> I love it. So I was watching that and I was like, oh, I gotta do D.B. Cooper. So my daughter interrupted to tell us that she shrunk and lost a duel with the mouse because <laughs> she ate the purple peanut butter. No, purple jelly, right? Yeah. From R.L. Stein's Give Yourself Goosebumps, Reader Beware, You Choose the Scare. She's recently discovered these books, so breaking news. She made it to the end. It's funny because she knocked on the door, and Marcy's first thing she says is, You did not finish that book. Well, she only started reading it today. But so? I see if you choose your own yeah. ending and it, yeah, that's when you read it again and choose different. Well, she's been endings. reading for a while now. Yeah, she so did good. She's a good girl. Where was I? I don't know. D.B. Cooper? Yeah. We need new chairs. I'm going to tell you about D.B. Cooper. You just relax. I'm oh, trying. Oh, you can donate to our Patreon at <laughs> www.patreon.com slash murder of ages. Lots of fun different tiers, right? Yeah. We get some goodies. We're going to post some live video feeds. Mm-hmm. It's going to be lit. <sighs> right. And then hopefully we can get new chairs so you don't hear me squeaking away. And I don't have to hear her complain. That would be fabulous. Oh, these chairs are not okay so <laughs> what do you know do you know anything about db cooper little bits here and there i'm so sure i uh in speech class freshman year of the many years at community college <laughs> so what that was like 1973 two years after this happened um i did a speech about db cooper and then I also took a, an ArcGIS course, which is building maps on a computer. Wait, why are you doing a story from 2000s? It's from 71. You just said. Well, you said my story was from 73, so I said, oh, yeah, two years later. Because then you said 2006, mm-hmm. and then you're like, it's two years earlier. I was telling you the real time of when I took my speech class. And so anyways, and then in my ArcGIS class, I reconstructed, I made a map showing where I thought he might have landed. Was it cute? T.B. Cooper's near and dear to my heart. 
He was very cute. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, this, like I said, the only unsolved case of aerial hijacking. And the FBI kept an active investigation on him for 45 years and a file over 60 volumes long. Pretty huge stuff. So, he got away with $200,000, which in today's money is over a million. Oh, wow. In cash. Where'd you get your... Uh... Your information from? My brain. (laughs) Uh, Wikipedia, history.com, and Como News. Thank you, Karen. I think I did see a history channel. Oh, it's so famous. Documentary about it. Once I start talking, you'll remember. And if I show you, like, okay, anybody listening out there, all I want more than diamonds or golds is the original FBI wanted poster for D.B. Cooper. That would be pretty cool. Give it to me, baby. All right. Our story begins Thanksgiving Eve, November 24th, 1971. A man about 6'1", mid-40s, olive complexion, brown eyes, brown hair. Karen's salivating. Mm. She's getting moist. (laughs) (laughs) Ew! I wrote that in there. No, I didn't. (laughs) Wouldn't surprise me. (laughs) He was wearing a business suit, black tie and white shirt, carrying a black attache case. Now, back in the 70s, kind of when airplane flight... Is that your foot? Sorry, I thought that was a dog. was a little bit new. People really dressed up Mm. to go in airplanes. All right. He used the alias Dan Brown at the Northwest Orient Airlines in Portland at the International Airport. He purchased a one-way ticket from Portland to Seattle on flight number 305. About a 30-minute trip. It was a 727. 36 people on board, including him. He had an aisle seat where he made himself comfortable lighting a cigarette and ordering a bourbon and soda. Mm. Mm-hmm. That sounds so nice, just having a cigarette on an airplane. With your bourbon and soda? Yeah. I wish I knew what kind of soda, but I'm, I'm assuming like soda water because it doesn't say. Yeah. So he calls over flight attendant Florent Schaefer, who was 23 at the time. He hands her a note and thinking it was just a phone number... She put it aside, and he whispered, Miss, you better take a look at that note. I have a bomb. <gasps> and all I can think of right now is meet the parents. Bomb, 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 bomb. What about the bombardier? <laughs> so funny. You have too much energy right now. Oh, I'm excited. I, this story gets me excited. Okay, the exact words of the note, we don't know because he did ask for it back, but the gist of it was, I have a bomb in my briefcase. And she said the writing was in felt pen and all capital letters. Hmm. He asked Florence to sit next to him, and she did as requested. He showed her the contents of the case, which included red wires and a large cylindrical battery. And this is what he wanted. $200,000 in, quote, negotiable American currency, four parachutes, two primary and two reserve, Fuel truck standing by in Seattle to rule, refuel the aircraft upon arrival. Schaffner conveyed Cooper's instructions to the pilots in the cockpit. And when she came back, he was wearing dark sunglasses. Because his future is so bright. Oh, <sighs> Gotta wear Wait, so shades. He, he told a flight attendant. Mm-hmm. And then she went and told the captain. Okay. So Florence Schaffner, Schaffner is the flight attendant. Okay. So William Scott, who is the captain... He radioed into SeaTac and informed them of the situation. Local and federal authorities were alerted. The passengers were told their arrival would be delayed 
because of a minor mechanical difficulty. So nobody was aware on the plane besides personnel. It's kind of smart. Yeah. So no one panics. Absolutely. The Northwest Orient's president gave the go-ahead for the ransom and ordered all employees to fully comply with Cooper's demands. For two hours, the jet circled Puget Sound, and this gave the FBI and Seattle police time to gather the money and the parachutes. Flight attendant, the other flight, another flight attendant, Tina Mucklow, she recalls Cooper appeared familiar with the area. He remarked, looks like Tacoma down there as the aircraft flew above it. He also mentioned that McCord Air Force Base was only a 20-minute drive at that time from the Seattle-Tacoma airport. Schaffner described him as calm, polite, and well-spoken, not at all consistent with the stereotypes of political descendants, such as hardened criminals are are enraged and say, take me to Cuba. (laughs) That was a... According to Wikipedia. So, Mucklow also stated he wasn't nervous. He was nice. He was never cruel or nasty. And he was thoughtful and calm. He ordered a second bourbon and soda, paid his drink tab, and he attempted to give Mucklow the change for a tip and offered to request meals for the flight crew during the stop in Seattle. Hmm. Which this reminds me, I just watched the movie The Old Man and the Gun, which is a true story about... They called it the Overhill Gang. And the leader, I mean, he was in his 70s, I think, would rob banks. And he just did it in this really polite, like he just kind of showed them the gun, get his money and walk out. It had uh, Robert Redford. I can't, the the bank robber's name was Forrest. And he he escaped prison 16 times. Oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. All right, sorry for that. Here we go, back to the story. The money was retrieved from several Seattle area banks. 10,000 unmarked $20 bills. So they did give him for um, the choice of having military issue parachutes or civilian chutes, mm-hmm. which have a manual ripcord. And he requested the manual ones, the civilian ones that they got from a skydiving school. So he probably was never in the military, which later they thought he might have been. But why wouldn't you request military parachutes? Right. Then? And I'm I'm thinking he was probably practicing at a skydiving school, and so he already knew how to use them. Mm-hmm. 5.39 p.m., Cooper had William, the pilot, park the jet in a poorly lit area of the airport and close all the window shades. Oh. So the snipers can't get him. The money was delivered to Tina Mucklow, flight attendant, and Dan Cooper ordered all of the passengers and flight attendants, Schaffner and Alice Hancock, to leave the plane. So now there's going to be five people left on board. So during the refueling, Cooper outlined his plan to the crew. He wanted to go to Mexico City, and he had an airspeed, which means blit to me because I don't understand any of that. And he had altitude he wanted the plane to fly at, and he wanted the landing gear to remain deployed in the takeoff landing position. And the wing flaps to be lowered 15 degrees and the cabin to remain unpressurized. So the... Why? Um, I don't know. Something... I think it's to help him jump from the plane because that's what he does. Spoiler alert. Uh, is he parachutes out. the parachute. Yeah. And they didn't want to let him take off with those staircases out. The exit rear door staircases. Mm-hmm. But he said he told the pilot to take off anyways and that they'd put him up when they got in the air. 
That's weird. Yeah. So at 7.40, the plane was once again airborne with our five passengers. Dan Cooper, the pilot Scott, flight attendant Mucklow, co-pilot Ratasack, and flight engineer H.E. Anderson. Ratasack, I apologize for butchering your name. So unbeknownst to Cooper, two F-106 fighter jets were following them. One above and one below. Oh, smart. But he does jump and they don't see. Mm-hmm. They also said it was really poor visibility and he's wearing all black. Oh. He changed, yeah. Well, still, they can't they communicate with them, like the pilot? And I don't say, think the pilots knew um, because they were probably afraid he'd hear the radio transmission. That's true. He had everyone on board go into the cockpit and stay put with the door closed. At 8 p.m., they noticed a warning light flashed indicating the air, the aft air stair apparatus had been been activated and pressure changed when the door was open. 8.30 p.m., the tail section section did a sudden upward movement to them, tells them that he jumped. And it was, of course, into a thunderstorm. (laughs) That sucks. I mean, if you're going to do it, do it right. Right. So, like I said, the fighter jets tailing them did not see him jump. And the FBI in 2007 did disclose that Cooper chose the older of the two primary parachutes given to him. And he also chose a dummy chute, which was sewn shut. And any experienced skydiver would have known that it was not operational. So it again tells us he really didn't have any experience. Right. And I'm not sure what the difference is between a primary and a secondary parachute. I, I don't really know. So don't ask. It's probably if the first one is faulty. Oh, that's why you're here. Good job, Karen. I mean, I'm just taking an educated guess. I think that's educated, huh? Oh, my God. I was on the president's list, so. Um, Of course, you had to put that in there somewhere. (laughs) At 10.15 p.m., the Aristair was still deployed, so the pilots decided to land at Reno Airport. And a thorough search by a slew of law enforcement agencies determined he was no longer on board, which they kind of already figured. Mm -hmm. So Cooper left behind 66 fingerprints, a black clip-on tie, and two of the four parachutes. Now, Jeff Osiodakis, yikes, (laughs) sorry, dude, from Clay Allen was driving his dump truck that night, and he saw a man walking down the side of the road. He wasn't able to pick him up because he thought maybe he was having car trouble. The man walking. But he saw him later at the Tianaway Junction Cafe. And Jeff says the man looked like a drowned rat. They had a, they had a conversation and the drowned rat asked for directions. Was it Cooper? Or was it a hitchhiker? Because this would have been in the area where he possibly could have jumped. So they have the first. So he, he jumped out somewhere. They're thinking around Mount St. Helens area, but it would have been really difficult to determine where exactly he jumped and where exactly he could have landed because they didn't for sure know the airspeed, altitude, when he would have pulled his ripcord while he was free-falling, all these different factors, and then plus the wind and the storm. And the first suspect was minor career criminal D.B. Cooper. So Dan Cooper is the name used at the airport, but for some reason, this is where the confusion come from came from that he actually used the name D.B. Cooper, 
Well, he didn't. It was just the first suspect because they thought, well, maybe he was stupid enough to use his real name. And the man was from Oregon. Yeah, uh, uh, he was. They. Uh, what am I looking for? What, what's that's that word? Released him from being a suspect. Cleared him from being a suspect yeah. pretty quickly. So they, yeah, they thought maybe it was by Lake Merwin, which is near Mount St. Helens, but no trace of him or his equipment was found near there. Uh, later data shows it might have been near the Washougal River in Washington, which was close to the story I did of the Portland serial killer who mm. would, that's near the Columbia River was where he would get rid of his bodies. What was, um, he was saying how he wanted to go to Mexico City? I think that was just like a, a ploy, a, a ruse. You know, just to get him oh, to fly, okay. and then Eve's plan was to jump all along. Okay, I was like, yeah. Washington's not close to no, because Mexico. They, let's see, <laughs> I have the times here. Oops. So they were in the air at seven forty, and by eight thirty, they noticed he jumped. So it wasn't oh, that right. That wasn't that much time. Let's see. Um, they did find some skeletal remains in an abandoned structure in nineteen seventy two in Clark County. So this is your little bit of murder sprinkled in for you. Mm-hmm. It was sad, though. It turned out to be a female teenager who was abducted and murdered weeks prior. Oh. I didn't find anything more about who did that abduction and killing, because I'm thinking maybe for another I was going to say, if Tuesday that's or Thursday. Thursday. Yeah. So, in November 1978, a place card printed with instructions for lowering the aft stairs of a 727 was found by a deer hunter near Castle Rock, Washington, which would have been within... Flight 305's path. Sunday, February 10th, 1980, eight-year-old Brian Ingram made the discovery of a lifetime. Him and his family were vacationing near Vancouver, Washington on the Columbia River, and he found three packets of random cash. Oh. And in 1986, the money was divided between the Ingrams and the Northwest Orient's insurer, and in 2008, Ingram, Ingram auctioned off 15 of his bills for $37,000. So, of course, with a case like this, theories abound. So, they believe the alias Dan Cooper came from Belgian comic book hero Dan Cooper, who was a Royal Canadian Air Force pilot. Hmm. And these comics were never circulated in the U.S., so authorities think he may have saw them while in Europe. Or he was Canadian. Uh, further information that leads him to believe he was not from the U.S. was that he asked for negotiable American currency, which Americans don't say that. We just right. say, give me the goddamn money. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, and he also didn't have an accent, so that makes him think that maybe he was Canadian. And he was most likely knowledgeable about flying technique and aircraft, since he asked for four parachutes to imply that he would be taking a hostage to ensure he wouldn't be given bad equipment mm. even though they did give him the dummy shoot so they're lucky he didn't take three yeah people or two i guess because you said one's a backup mm-hmm. so he chose a 727 aircraft because it's ideal for escape due to on- due to not only its aft air stair but also the high aftwood placement of the three engines which allowed a reasonably safe jump, despite the proximity of the engine exhaust. Copied and pasted that, baby. <laughs> <laughs> so it also had the ability, which is unusual for a commercial 
airliner to remain in slow, low-altitude flight without stalling. And Cooper knew how to control its airspeed and altitude without entering the cockpit, where he could have been overpowered by the three pilots. Mm. And he was also important with certain details, such as, like I said, they had the flap setting. You know, he knew they needed to refill, refuel, and all that. So some of this knowledge was virtually unique to CIA paramilitary units. So that's where they were thinking he might have been military. Right. But then why would he not want the military-grade parachutes? But now saying that, I wonder if he just didn't want those to throw them off. Because, I mean, he was... He knew how to avoid identification. I mean, before the glasses, yeah. he took the note back with him. I mean, he did leave his tie. And, like, 60 fingerprints. Yeah. So he didn't do that good of a job. It was also the early 70s. <laughs> That's fair. Imitation is the highest form of flattery. So less than five months after Cooper's heist on April 7th, um, 1972, Richard Floyd McCoy Jr. boarded a 727 in Denver, Colorado, he handed a note to flight attendant requesting $500,000 and four parachutes. And if not given, guess what he would do? Bomb bomb, 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 <laughs> So he received his demands in San Francisco and ordered the plane to take off, and he bailed out over Provo, Utah. But he left his note behind. Uh, he did survive his jump, but he lost most of the cash while doing it in what flight. A dumbass. I don't know. You just have to have it strapped on really good. And then you think, too, that probably weighs quite a bit, right? So that was going to weigh you down, too. If you have it all strapped on you, I don't know how much $500,000 weighed. Me either. I guess it depends the bills that came in. Oh, that's you true. Know? That's true. If it was, like, all in ones, then obviously that'd be a shit ton. <laughs> then, yeah, he was arrested April 9th, and he sentenced to 45 years. Two years later, he escapes, and he was killed in a shootout with FBI agents three months three months after that. And some officers are convinced that he was D.B. Cooper. McCoy's family confirm, confirmed that the clip-on tie left behind on the Portland flight belonged to McCoy, but uh, there were probably so many of those black clip-on ties made. Oh, How yeah. could you say that that one belongs to that person, unless you just want it to be that person? Right. So the FBI, do, they don't consider him a suspect because of his age and description differences. And he was in Las Vegas the day of the hijacking. Oh. So there's lots of people that have confessed or friends think it's them. Mm-hmm. There is one that I thought was interesting, a Walter R. Rekka. Rika? He confessed to his friend Carl Laren and to his niece. And he also told his friend about the conversation with the man at the cafe, which nobody else really knew about. So that's interesting. But they, the FBI, they said, yeah, that's, you know, there's some proof there, but not enough to say definitively. Right. And he passed away. So fellow passenger Bill Mil- Mitchell on flight 305 was a University of Oregon sophomore at the time. And he remembers... Cooper only because the flight attendant sat next to him, and that made Mitchell jealous. Oh. And I guess that made a lot of people jealous is why they were able to get, because every eyewitness statement describing Cooper was all consistent. Mm. You know, where sometimes it'll be different. Sure. And they think that's why, because the flight attendant sat next to him, and this Mitchell kid was like, why did you sit next to some middle-aged white guy? I'm right here. 
you know, young Dang, guy. This flight attendant must be a I know. bombshell. <laughs> and he says, my theory from day one, or three days after I realized what was going on, is that he plunked down on the ground someplace in southern Washington, dead with the money. The FBI officially closed the case in 2016. However, the fans of the mystery remain active. The Cooperites, as they are called, oh, are holding Cooper Con the weekend of November 23rd at Kiggins Theater in Vancouver, Washington. A special agent, Larry Carr, says diving into the wilderness without a plan, without the right equipment, in such terrible conditions, he probably never even got his chute open. That's what I'm thinking is there's no way he was in the military or that informed if he was dumb enough to go during a storm. Yeah. I mean, he probably did his research, obviously. You can also think it's harder to track you during a storm, though. And maybe he figured the risk was worth it. I don't know. I also think he knew of a really good hiding place, and they just didn't find him when they landed in Reno. Yeah. Yeah, I just think they didn't find him, because I think the shoots was just a, like a ploy and he maybe jumped or something to make the plane move and threw him out and then just went and hid somewhere. So he just wanted the money? Is that what this yeah, was? Yeah, he was just the wanted money? the money. It's all about the fucking money. Why didn't he just like rob a bank or something? It was more fun. More fun to hijack a plane and jump out of the air. Hell yeah, it's more... Look at... He's a legend now. I mean, if he... And they did, you know, search his biplane... Looking for his remains. I don't know. You landed a tree somewhere. Who knows? Yeah. You're ever found again. Hmm. It's just, oh, it's just one of those great mysteries, you know? I want to know. We. I don't think we ever will. Looks like you should become a detective and figure it out. Well, I didn't do <laughs> <laughs> My detective skills are limited by Wikipedia. <laughs> to uh, Wikipedia. Yeah, that's a... <laughs> not a reliable source. Uh, ah, that's good. Makes you think. Where is this guy? Okay. Okay, okay. We ready? Do you have a super depressing bummer story to tell me? How did you know? (laughs) Signed up for this shit. I'm here for it. So, of course, I did a I Survive story. So, neither of us did a murder. Oh. Well, it's a true crime hey, podcast. It's not That's murder true. podcast. That's true. And you know what? My one on Thursday, there's going to be plenty of murder. Yeah, my so one for Thursday is pretty messed up. So, Ugh. I mean, so is this, though. Okay. Um, Get to it. So, I got all my information from the TV show I survived. It's season one, episode six. Also, um, Dateline, NBC News. The Leader, Find Law, and Idaho Press. Holy shit. Yeah, I... You did some research. I had a look because a lot of things were still going on. And so some places updated, some didn't. That's right. You have the present Mm -hmm. today. Mm -hmm. I sure do. So I know we're going to have quite the conversation after... I tell you the story, mm. but it's good because I wanted to talk about it with someone. And, and you chose me. Ah. I'm crying happy tears. There's a tear in my beer. Okay, you done? <laughs> <laughs> Not quite yet. 
<laughs> okay, so our story today is about Linda LeBrain. She's 53 years old, a mother of seven. Oh, is that what she survived? <laughs> Raising seven children. Yes. Um, she's from Port Townsend, Washington. So it was June 15th, 2000, when she was on her way to her family's cabin in Utah. That's almost exactly... Actually, when this comes out, it will be almost 20 years ago. Or it will be over 20 years ago to the day. Wow. How about that? Isn't that weird? 2000 Mm. is 20 20 years years ago. ago. Fuck. Y2K, baby. So she goes um, to her family's cabin every summer as a little getaway retreat for herself. Um, Oh. She goes by herself. (laughs) Yes. It's not a vacation unless you take the kids, right? No. It's funny because on the Dateline um, story, the interviewer was like, you went by yourself? And she goes, I do this every year, the same time. Um, she said something like, you love your kids afterwards. Oh, like, so she yeah, needs a little so break. Yeah. It's just kind of like a long weekend thing. Get away for a couple days. Um, so is she a single parent? No. Oh. So the husband stays. Oh, okay. And she goes. I don't know if she meets, like, her family up there. She meets her boyfriend. Yeah. So she was currently in Canyon County, Idaho. It was 2.30 a.m. She was driving on Interstate 84 with her windows rolled down and her music up. And there were no cars on the road at this time. She said she was having a blast just singing and driving oh i love that too i love just driving and blasting music i can relate i i met george over in um elgin oregon mm-hmm. and no was, yeah in elgin i took the kids but they both fell asleep on the way mm. it was so relaxing right? mountain scenery my music yeah totally relate you just sing and you can play like the guilty pleasure music that you normally uh-huh. don't get to play. <laughs> <laughs> a little uh, mambo number five. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I'm thinking like sync or something. But So she looks to her left and she sees a car coming up and there's four young people in it. She figured they were going to mess with her because they looked, you know, younger than her, obviously. Oh, my gosh. Um, so she didn't make eye contact and she just kept driving. So she would speed up a little bit and then they would speed up and then she would slow down and they would slow down. Oh, like, this is my nightmare. Yeah, they were fucking with her. Oh, no. So the passenger had what looked like a tree branch. And so the driver inched closer to her car and the passenger hit her car with this tree branch branch so she slowed down to get behind them in the same lane and when she did that um they slid their car to be perpendicular oh no so it's in the middle uh-huh. of and both lanes anywhere and she's blocked off oh, my, this so it's like a t yeah so she stopped oh. um almost crashing on the side of the road oh this is so intense i know this, oh it's just starting Carrie. that's why i can't watch the show i love it so much tell me more um so she tried to roll up her windows but the passenger side window was still down and she had oh, one of like the yes, manual yes. roll yes. <laughs> oh she didn't have a cell phone oh, 
And if she did, she probably wouldn't have service anyways. Oh, that's what in the without a paddle because it was 2003. Yeah. So Seth Green, who's the doctor, mm-hmm. the dentist, he's like, "Hey, check out my satellite phone." It's a flip <laughs> a flip phone. He's like, "I even have my own ringtone." Right. And the bear eats it. And he's like, "You ate my very expensive." <laughs> cellular phone <laughs> oh my god oh my god yeah it'd probably be like one with an antenna uh-huh. and she's in the middle of idaho so she probably wouldn't have you service. Get service there now yeah exactly so she was of course frightened so there were three men and one woman the woman goes to linda's passenger side and unlocks the door through the open window oh. So the woman gets in, and she reaches over Linda with a knife to Linda's throat and unlocks the driver's door. Apparently, the attackers were high on meth. It's a methed up country. It is. So the four attackers were super wild. They were super hyped up, just yelling and screaming at Linda, where's my money? Where's the drugs? Just going insane. Like... She said they were like a pack of wild wolves. Like they were all just going crazy. I wonder what would happen if she would have started acting crazy too. <laughs> oh my god, that's like that one story from My Favorite Murder where that's what made me think. Yeah, of it. her friend uh-huh. just started making this crazy noise and then he left. Yeah, like if she would act like she was high on meth too. Yeah. I I don't know. Oh my I god, they probably would have just killed her. Yeah, true. <laughs> Yeah, because then they would really think, where's the drugs, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so one of the men, he was very tall, and Linda described him as having long, greasy hair. So she same. actually... Uh, same. Um, she actually gave all the attackers a nickname in her head so she could remember traits oh, about them. so smart. I know, I would have never thought of that. You have to be smart, though, to keep seven kids alive. <laughs> So this one she called Greasy Man because his hair was down and greasy. And she said, like, his face was just broken out. Just it looked like he didn't take care of himself. Um, Another man she called Fat Boy. Oh, I'm just picturing, like, the nastiest ass hillbillies Mm -hmm. ever. Well, and I think two of them were Native American. One was Hispanic. And the girl um, looked maybe like... Half Mexican, white, like well, maybe a mixed. Doesn't discriminate. Mm-hmm. It attacks everyone. Amen. So, and then um, the third man, I forgot what she nicknamed him. Um, but yeah, it was very smart to kind of just remember what they look like mm-hmm. in the event you survive. Oh. So, Greasy Man. <laughs> He pulls Linda out of the car and drags her around the back of the car to put her in the passenger side. She kept asking why they were doing this, begging them to stop. Oh, they probably don't even know why. I I called the greasy man the tall man and when Slender I wrote this. Man. <laughs> right? Um, so the greasy man gets into the driver's seat and he has a knife. He goes over to stab her <gasps> in the chest and Linda grabs the knife and it oh, cuts all oh, of her fingers. Oh my God. I know. Oh, it's like the paper worst paper cut in the world. Yeah. Imagine just grabbing a I knife. Mean, what else are you gonna do? Uh, right. Shit. Yeah. Ooh. Um, yeah, so it cuts all of her fingers and 
another man, he yelled that they need to get her car off the highway um, so no one sees them. So they were he, they were somewhat conscious then. They weren't totally meth out if he's thinking enough to move the car off the highway. Right. Well, and, I mean, if they're driving on a highway, like they, or they're, you know, they've been doing drugs for a while, so it's kind of like almost second nature. Mm. So the greasy man drives her car following the attacker's car. So they had their own car, obviously. So as he's driving with his right hand, he's stabbing Linda in the chest. (gasps) Yeah. So he stabs her five times in the chest. How pretty deep? I'm I'm assuming so. I'm just trying to picture like like little like choo 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 right or like eh, 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 like big deep cuts. As I'm just trying to picture it in my brain. Yeah, I'm not too sure. I'm sure pretty bad. So they drove to a dark side road where um, there were a lot of fields, and Linda remembers them being beet fields. Dwight Schrute, Schrute Farm. (laughs) No, I don't. (laughs) Oh, that's right. You don't watch um, The Office. I get it. She expresses that the woman was, looked very young. Not very young, but looked younger. And she was beautiful. And she was to con- she was confused as to why she was with these older, gross men. So the woman was in the back seat behind the driver. And then the second man was behind Linda in the back seat. And then oh, okay. Pick- tall, got it. Yep. greasy man was driving. Okay. Mm-hmm. Got it. Okay. And then the fourth guy was driving their car. Okay. Okay. Oh, my gosh. Linda turns around to the woman and says, please don't kill me. Please. I have a family. I have kids. I just want to live. Um, and then the man who was sitting behind Linda grabs her by the hair, <gasps> pulls her head back, and slits her throat. Oh! Sorry, it's not. The story isn't funny. Marcy's reaction is funny. Okay, so she was still very hopeful, thinking she can talk her way out of this. Oh, and you don't have your throat is. I know. I know. The throat gets me. I don't touch my throat. when you think of movies, like you were talking about the bullet head, bullet to the head, you obviously yeah. die. You think when someone slits your throat, that's it. Right. There's so many of these I Survive stories that their throat gets slit and they're still alive. It must just and you see, if they you can see that, the scar. Yeah. If it is that the jugular mm-hmm. in your throat, if they hit that, which it's I guess it's further out of your neck. Oh my god. So almost like I don't know, was like this is your collarbone. And then what are these trats? Deltoids? What are these things up here? Oh, your shoulders? I don't know. Yeah, so I guess your jugular is further out. So if someone cuts just in the middle, you know, a majority of the time they miss it, which is good. So the man in the driver's seat starts yelling at Linda to give him her money. He reaches in her pockets and he takes her wedding ring off. Of her bloody cut finger. Um, He took her wallet and was very upset that she only had $40 in cash. Which I never have cash on me. So he would be very upset. 
So Linda looked at the woman again, begged her, said, you know, please don't kill me. She's thinking she can reason with a woman. Oh, And yeah. she also said that she could tell the woman was, like, the ringleader of the boys. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Like, she was the one kind of calling the shots. Oh, yeah. boy. So then oh, the woman oh, goes, go ahead and beg for your life. And I guess she called her some names, you know. She wasn't very nice. So Linda opens her door and gets out of the car. Well, the car's moving. No, no, no. They're they're at the beat field now. Oh, that's right. That's right. Okay. So she gets out of the car. She gets on her knees, and she's facing the three attackers. (gasps) And she's begging them, like, you know, has her hands, like, in a praying position, looking at them, begging, saying, I, you know, please, I have children. I have a family. I want to live. And during that moment... The other man who was driving the other car, he comes over with a metal baseball bat. And he goes, okay, we're going to kill her now. And Linda looked at the woman saying, you said you wouldn't kill me. Like, please, just begging. Um, And then the woman said, we'll do you a favor and knock you out first. So Linda instantly puts her arms over her head and the man with the baseball bat bashed in her head. Um, So she fell face down on the ground. Then Linda said it felt like someone was punching her back and comes to find out that she was being stabbed in the back. And she was stabbed 17 times in the back. So that's when Linda thought, if I don't play dead, they're really going to kill me. And that's, see, I told you, everyone says that. Like, you just have to. I wonder if she could have played dead in the car when they slit her throat. Oh. And just, like, slumped over. Yeah. You'd have to really play, I guess. Like, Well, I mean, the last story, your lady just was laying on the couch right yeah. in front of him. Yeah. That's so nuts. And these women are older. Like, I just could not. I mean, I'm 28, and I, <laughs> I feel like I would, like, cave in or something. I don't know. Well, I do say, I mean, like, when you have kids, it gives you that strength. Yeah. You know, and you find something to fight for. Like, the last lady, too, is fighting, so her mom wouldn't have another funeral. Mm-hmm. As she's playing dead, she hears the attacker's car start and drive off. So she kind of waited a little bit, and she was left alone, and it was dark. It's the middle of the night, just in a field in Idaho, just completely. There's no street lights or anything. Do they so, even have those there yet? <laughs> probably not. <laughs> So (laughs) she kind of gets up and leans against her car and she starts looking inside her car, hoping her keys are there. You know, she's wishful thinking that she could just drive away and drive to the hospital. Of course, her keys aren't there. Then she sees a car coming. Oh, no. So she waves her hands for help. Mm -mm, Mm-mm, mm-mm. And in all caps, I put, and it was the attackers. Oh, I know. When I was watching it and she said that, I freaked out. So the tall, long hair attacker goes, oh, you think you're so strong because she was so alive. And he gets the knife out and slashes her shoulder. Mm -hmm. Um, Then they beat her more with a metal baseball bat. And she was Why on. Why did they come back? Well, I, I will tell you. Oh. So she was on the ground right next to her car. 
She said she remembers her legs are under her car and her body's out of it, right? Like, so on the gravel or dirt, whatever. Then she hears a big whoosh and they lit her car on fire (gasps) and they left. Oh, to get rid of the evidence. Yeah. So she rolled her body um, down into the beet field. Uh, Linda now had 22 stab wounds and her throat cut. Oh, my God. Her lungs are punctured at this point, and she has a fractured skull. So she's laying in the field. Um, Oh, this is how she said she knew it was a beet field, because I guess um, whatever... The beets, like, grow on or whatever are really hard, almost kind of, like, thick, like, almost like a stick-type thing. So it's like a stalk, a, a beet stalk? Yeah, I guess. A corn stalk? Yeah, I don't, I don't really know much about it. But she says she remembers because when she's rolling down it, it's so painful. Oh. Because you're hitting all of it. Yeah. <laughs> so she doesn't roll, you know, too far, but kind of far enough from the car So she's laying in the field, and she starts to just kind of move dirt under her head for support, and she said she's basically preparing to die. Um, She was losing a lot of blood, and she said she saw a bright white light. Oh, Oh, and I found out that the explanation of that, um, when people say they see, like, a bright light, Uh is... It's caused by a lack of oxygen and chemical changes in the brain. Well, that's boring. I know. But... Thanks for ruining everything, Karen. Oh. Now I know when I see a bright light, it's not, you know, my spirit. It's, or a spirit. It's It's you dying. Chemicals. <laughs> yeah, thanks, dude. It's you literally dying. So Linda now hears voices, and she thinks they came back to make sure she was dead. Um, but it was two teenage boys who stopped because they saw the car on fire. They called 911, and as teenage boys are, they were so, like, you know, amused by the fire and just thought it was so cool. And so Linda is trying to get their attention because she rolled out into the field. Oh, yeah, they don't even know. So, yeah, so they're just, you know, they're like, oh, cool, car on fire, you know? So Linda is trying to get their attention, and she's as loud as she can. She's saying, here, here, I'm over here, help me. And the boys see her. They rush to her and they drag her. Um, She said about 50 feet away from the car. Uh, She said one boy grabbed her legs. The other one grabbed her arms. And she said the boy dislocated her shoulders. Oh, my God. Which obviously, like, you know, they had no idea. And they were probably panicked, too. Oh, yeah. Well, they see this woman who's bloody and... Whatever. and Not what they were expecting. Right. Um, but obviously they saved her life. Um, so thankfully they got there before the car exploded. So it didn't hit the gas line yet. And then the boys moved her. And then the fire hit the gas line. And it exploded. Boom. Yeah. <gasps> Whoa. Yeah. She said um, the attackers setting her car on fire is what saved her life. Yeah, because if who yeah, knows when she would have been found, right? If just a random car was on the side of the road, you would just drive past it. You wouldn't think anything. Definitely of it. wouldn't stop. No, 
Not me, anyways. Not in the middle of the night. So what time is this now? Because it was 2.30 a.m. when she was on the road. So it's morning right. by now, maybe? Probably. She didn't say. But I'm sure with, you know, in a few hours. So I'm sure Well, it's... and teenagers are awake, so it's probably fairly late in the morning. Right. <laughs> they don't get up too early from what I've yeah. heard. Yeah. They probably were at a party or, you know, oh, who knows. Oh, yeah, because they haven't even been to I mean, bed yet. Yeah, it's summertime, yeah, so. Um, so, Linda was in the ICU in Boise for 10 days. Uh, then she stayed at General or Jefferson General Hospital in Port Townsend for another six days. Um, it took two years to track down Linda's attackers. What? Yeah, because there was no evidence. No DNA Whoa. anywhere. Nothing. How do you even come back from that type of trauma? I don't know. It just, it would be so, so many sleepless nights. Mm-hmm. Just, I would be so worried they were going to come back for me, come back for my children, mm-hmm. my family. Years? That's got to be the longest two years of and your life. I'm sure that you're going to talk about this, but to face them in court right. and retell your story. Yeah. Um, And obviously, you know, she's done a lot of amazing things, you know, by talking about it and sharing her story. Uh And she's a big advocate for, you know, situations like this. Yeah. So the three men were John. Jacob uh, Jingleheimer Schmidt. I'm going to butcher it. That's my name. Woodman. Oh, yeah. John Woodman. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. And Kenneth. Woodman, so oh, Kenneth, mm-hmm. brothers, yeah. Then Jeremy Sanchez, 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 and along with Sarah Pierce. Mm. So Jeremy Sanchez is serving a life sentence. John Woodman is serving four consecutive life sentences plus fifty-five years. Good. Kenneth, which is John's older brother, was sentenced to ten to thirteen years in prison. So do we know? Which Who, one was which? Yeah. Uh, no, I don't. Because I'm curious. I mean, it must be based on their involvement. So I think um, Jeremy Sanchez was the one who slit her throat. Okay. He was in the backseat. Okay. John, I think, is Greasy Man. Okay. And then, the, yeah, it would make sense the third and, guy didn't get as much because he basically just drove the car. And, yeah, he hit and her. And he bashed her in with the baseball bat. Right. But that's... He didn't stab her. He didn't. That, they should all get the same. Oh, oh I 100% agree yeah. with you. Um, so Kenneth was actually released on parole in 2012. <gasps> this is the one that was driving, that we think was driving the car? Baseball bat? Yes. I'm curious, too, if the sentences they got correlates with who squealed first. Oh, uh, sure. You know, yeah. I'm thinking of law and order plea agreements, you know, right. that kind of thing. Kenneth, he, so he was released on parole in 2012, but he actually went back to prison less than a year later for violating his parole. Good. So stay there. This is where it gets. Oh, yeah, the girl. Yeah. So this is where it gets a little tricky that I wanted to talk to you about. Um, so Sarah Pierce um, the whole time she said, you know, she doesn't know the woman, she's innocent, blah, blah, blah. So Linda had to pick her attackers out from a photo lineup. Um, and two years later, that can be difficult. Yes. I mean, they may have just, if you know, showered and it would make a difference. Right. So 
I guess Sarah was friends with these guys, so it kind of made sense. Um, And also, apparently after the attack, they went to a motel and they went, they must have went to other places because there were a handful of people who also identified Sarah out of the photo lineup. Huh. Um, it, it's hard because we talk about, you know, being wrongfully convicted. Well, yeah, Laverne. Yeah. Poster child. God. <laughs> Fucking Laverne. So Linda complained a lot about the photo lineup saying she needs to actually see the person. She needs to see their height, their body language uh-huh. and movement and voice. And she repeatedly um, expressed this concern to investigators. But they basically were just like, well, you just have to pick a photo this type of a thing. This is where it feels like the victim's being set up for failure. Right. Like, we've already been through this. It's amazing she's even here to give you guys yes. a, a statement. Well, and, and it's then... so hard because... obviously we want justice for Linda and anyone who's been attacked. But when there's no evidence, you you can't just give someone life because of a photo lineup. How did they find these guys to to show her the photo? Do do we know how they even came about? Like, we think these might be the people that attacked you? I think because they're already criminals. Because I know... Especially the boys have had, like, a long history of criminal activity. And then I think there might have been footage from the hotel they stayed at. That was near where she was attacked? Yes. Okay. And all four of them were there. Okay. Like, it was three guys and a girl. Um, And, I mean, Sarah kind of did look like, you know, they had drawings, too. Sketches and... Okay. So the police had an idea of kind of who they were looking for. Right. How many and what they... Okay. And so I'm sure also whoever... Whoever's name they used at the hotel, you know, stuff like that. Like, they probably had, you know, I guess enough evidence to make them suspects. Mm. If that makes sense. Um, Well, because I think that's not too common... Three guys and a girl traveling together. Right. In the Either middle. In that area. Yeah, middle of Idaho. And with those same physical, you know, tall mm-hmm. and skinny, fatso. <laughs> <laughs> Greasy man. So Sarah was sentenced 15 years to life, um, but the Innocence Project in Boise actually took her case. Mm. I know. I It's like a double-edged sword, right? Cause and she I'm, was the ringleader? Mm-hmm. So she's she was released in 2014 after 11 years behind bars um, because there wasn't enough evidence. And it's funny because Sarah actually had Jeremy Sanchez, um, like, kind of testify for her. And I guess the first time he spoke up, he said that she was involved. And then the second time he goes, oh, I don't, I don't know. I don't really, I don't know this person. Like, so I don't. Now, I, I'd be scared for Linda. I mean, is she going to try to come after, you know? Let's. Yeah. I. Shame. Well, and I was watching when they released Sarah Pierce. You know, it's this whole. Was she on AGT last season? Probably. Um, you know, it was very emotional and. Her family was there, and Sarah, this Sarah Pierce woman is a white woman, 
And Linda described the female looking Hispanic. Hispanic. Does she have dark hair, though? Because I have been, and you too. I mean, Mm -hmm. we've both been, I don't want to say accused, mistaken for Hispanic. Right. Ethnicity. Just because I mean, the, the hair, hair, yeah, the hair was the same, too. It was, like, this short cut style, and, you know, Sarah said, you know, she's lesbian, like, why would she be with, I don't know, like, it was just weird, and I don't know how I feel, and obviously that's horrible for Sarah to serve 11 years if it wasn't her. But then if know. it wasn't, right. where's the other female right. that was with these guys that night? Exactly. You know, it's Idaho. There's only a handful of women to begin with. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Idaho. Love ya. Mean oh, it. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, so that, that's basically it. There's There was a lot of stories and articles about it. Um, I tried diving in more, but there was just too much, and my brain hurt. So you said that they were friends, though. She was friends with those three guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's there's no coincidences don't exist. Yeah, I bet it was her, and they just yeah didn't have enough evidence. Mm-hmm. Well, and like think about it, it's pitch black, dark, in a field area in the middle of nowhere, and you have a you know a fifty three year old woman who's trying to look at you, you know, get your features in her brain, even giving yeah. them nicknames, um, so she remembers. So, yeah, maybe in the dark, maybe you do look a little darker than... I'm curious, too, if they had ever killed before or attempted I think Jeremy Sanchez, I think he has a long um, history with violence or sexual violence. Mm. Um, I saw something about it, but I I didn't want to dive into him. Wow. Yeah, so that's what I'm saying is they're all past criminals all drug addicts so just coming together for the perfect yeah disaster right so it's hard and obviously it's horrible like this is so horrible and you just want justice for this person um but also you don't want to put someone behind bars for life who I mean, God, I just think of Archie Williams, and it makes me so sad thinking his whole life was gone because yeah. of being wrongfully convicted. Yeah. I don't know. That's why I'm like, God, this, I'm like in that weird, like... But I also want to know how many other women would have been hanging out with those three exact guys right. that night. Like, who else hangs out with them? Yeah. Yeah, and does drugs and stuff. And I think a lot of Archie's issues was... Well, vengeance fueled. They wanted someone to pay for that mm-hmm. rape, and then also probably race mm-hmm. played into it. As oh well. yeah, he even said that. So that's my story. Wow, I know. Tell me something good. <laughs> Karen's turn for the feel-good story today. Okay. Well, I watched America's Got Talent, the second episode of the auditions. How long are the auditions? Because you said they started before COVID. Yeah. So how many episodes did they get filmed? I have we no know? idea. I was thinking the same thing. Because I think, then I tell you, the first episode, right when it began, it said 17 days before yeah. the lockdown order. Um, and then now when they come on for like, if they continue it, you know, for the quarterfinals, 
Are they all gonna have to wear masks God. when they're up there? I mean, will they even be able to do Ridiculous. it? Well, didn't American Idol do it? Um, you do it without an audience? No, they did it online. Mm. Like it was all like Zoom or whatever. Um, so this girl comes out and she is so mature for her age. She's ten years old. Ten years old. I don't know. She just does not look ten years old. You know, kids don't anymore. I know. You can't you can't guess ages uh-uh. anymore. Um so she comes out, she's so nervous. You could tell. Very nervous. And, you know, judges are asking about her and stuff. And so she starts her audition and she sings um a Shallow by Lady Gaga. Oh. And oh my god. If you just close your eyes, like, I thought it was the soundtrack. Like, I thought it was Lady Gaga. Interesting. Like, don't look at her. Just, like, listen. And it's so amazing. So good. She has that kind of, like, deeper but, like, higher voice that Lady Gaga has. I wonder at 10 years old if it'll change. Oh, I'm sure, right? I mean, think of, like, Justin Bieber. I would kind of suck at this beautiful voice at 10 (laughs) and you get to 13 and it's... And it sucks. (laughs) (laughs) Um... So after, I mean, everyone was shocked. Everyone was like, what the hell? So after uh, she was done singing, she just bawls. Like, she just bursts into tears. And, you know, everyone's just, like, shocked and, like, oh, it's just so sweet. And she just starts crying. And, you know, they're kind of like, oh, like, you know, why do you feel so emotional and stuff? And um, she was saying how she's been bullied you know, throughout school and, you know, every child is rude and bullies for whatever reason. You're too tall or too short or too big or too small or whatever. Yep. Or you wear a tail. Yeah. You know, cat ears. (laughs) Um, Simon even asked her, he was like, is someone backstage singing for you that can't be you and that made you know made her smile and stuff and um oh and when she first came out she was freaking out because Sophia is now a judge Mm -hmm. and she watches Modern Family and she just started like oh my god and like you can tell she was crying already and Sophia was like you're so you know you're so cute like however her accent is (laughs) don't even try (laughs) don't go there (laughs) um so Sophia did give her her golden buzzer, Aww. and it was just so sweet. And her mom came out and was bawling, and she's bawling. And I'll have ugh, to watch it. I can't with kids crying. Oh, I can't with anyone crying. But so sweet, cute, so sweet. Such Send sweet us girl. your feel good story, so we don't have to listen to Aaron, Karen's uh, AGT recap. Oh, but it's so good. <laughs> it is good. It is good. I love that show. You can send them to us at murderofages at gmail.com. Wouldn't Yay. it be fun to hear us retell your story? Probably not. I think it would be a blast. Marcy would probably butcher it. That's part of the fun. <laughs> <laughs> you can I'm the also... butcher of the good news. <laughs> you can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at murderofages. And, oh, follow our Patreon page. Please and thank you. We love you. Do we? (laughs) Close us out. (laughs) To all you perverse, notorious wastes, we'll meet you there.